0: Lord Jesus, today we pray that you would give us humble hearts to accept your will, to accept your plan. And Lord, we need faith. And Lord, you promised to give us faith. And Lord, we know that faith comes by hearing. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. I ask that you would speak to us in such a way that we would not only hear with our ears, but that we would hear and believe with our hearts. Lord, only your Holy Spirit can do this work. So humble our hearts, Lord. Cause us to be humble before you today, that we wouldn't depend upon our assumptions, but that we would depend in faith upon your word and of the leading of your Holy Spirit. So Lord Jesus, I pray, that you would be glorified during this time, that your word would go forth, and that our hearts would be lifted in response to your word to praise you, to worship you, not only to, to worship you here in the sanctuary just once a week, but to worship you and to praise you with our lives. We need you, Lord. Our nation needs you. So, Lord, Heavenly Father, lead us into all truth. It's in your name we we pray. And all of God's children say, amen. Amen. My dad always said this, you should never assume anything. Then he had a cute little thing that went along with the word assume. Uh, We should never assume. But then I was thinking, it's really difficult to function in life without assuming. Because none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? None of us knows what tomorrow holds. So really all the plans, all the figuring, everything that we do in life is really based upon our assumption. Our assumption of what tomorrow holds, or our assumption today, we're going to be talking about discipleship. What we assume about living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to be talking about our assumptions, our assumptions. And in today's gospel lesson, the disciples, they they made some assumptions. They made some assumptions. And then some prospective uh, disciples made assumptions. They assumed this is what God wants. They assumed this is what the life of a disciple is all about. So today we go to our gospel lesson, the gospel lesson for this Sunday in Pentecost. And I invite you to stand as we read together Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning with the 51st verse reading in jesus name when the when the days drew near for him to be taken up that is for jesus to be taken up it says he set his face to go to jerusalem remember Jesus' mission was to go to jerusalem and in jerusalem he would be betrayed arrested tried crucified and then on the third day he would rise again from the dead So Jesus' entire mission and purpose was to go to Jerusalem to win salvation for humanity. So he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans. And many of us know that Samaritans were despised by Jews. The Jewish people did not like the Samaritans, but Jesus often would minister among the Samaritans. So he sent uh, some messengers ahead to prepare, to make preparations for him. Verse 53, but the people, that is the people of the Samaritan village, did not receive him. They didn't receive Jesus. Interesting, because his face was set toward Jerusalem, you see. It was God's will it was God's purpose that he go to Jerusalem verse 54 and when his disciples James and John saw it they made an assumption Lord do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven to consume them you see in, in, in the minds of James and John they thought well you know they rejected Jesus and because they rejected Jesus they deserve judgment so, so, Master, do you want us to call fire down to consume this village? But he turned and rebuked them. I wish I could hear, and I wish we, could, we, we knew the words that Jesus spoke to the disciples that day. I wonder what Jesus had to say to these disciples. In verse 56, and they went on to another village. Continuing on, some prospective disciples make assumptions. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 58, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's not a comfortable journey. Remember, I'm on my way to Jerusalem where there's suffering and death. And I really don't have a home. I don't have a place where I can lay my head. You want to be a disciple? You better understand, don't assume that it's comfortable. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So there was this assumption that he could do the work of a disciple according to his own time frame. And when things were convenient, we'll talk a little bit about this in the message. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. What do we base our assumptions upon? How do we plan for our future? And what do we expect God to do for our future? Well, we assume we make assumptions based on reason. Based on reason, right? Uh, we, We organize all the facts and figures. We do the math. We read books. We listen to experts. We plan out our calendars, we plan, we plan, we plan, all based on reason, which is is fine. Jesus said that we should plan. It's it's, it's good to plan. Jesus actually said it's it's foolish to not plan. He said that you should count the cost. The Bible also calls us to be good stewards of all the resources that he's been given to us. And to be wise stewards is to plan, and to figure, and to reason. You see, God gave us the gift of reason so that we can practice wise stewardship, right? So God gave you a brain. Use your brain. But use it wisely. Use it wisely. However, we go wrong. We go wrong when faith serves reason. In other words, faith should never take the back seat, faith should never serve reason. God gave us the gift of reason. But faith should always lead. Reason should always serve faith. Our ability to use our brains and to plan and to figure and to, to put all the facts together should always serve faith in God's Word. Never, never, as a believer, allow reason. To serve faith. People have gotten into a lot of trouble. And this is where many of our heresies, false teachings in the church come from. When reason serves faith. We trust God's word. So practically, how should this work out in our daily lives? Well, I want us to turn to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17 gives us some information on in how, how faith and reason, how faith and reason are related to each other. In James, James uh, wrote this, verse 13, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and, and trade and make a profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 15, here's the key. How reason and faith are to function. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. We will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills verse 16 as it is you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin practically you know reason should should always serve faith reason should always lead uh, should, should always take the backseat to trusting in what God says so how does this work well, the key is to pray first. The key is to pray first. Any decisions we make as disciples should be bathed in prayer. So pray first. Seek God's will first. What is his plan? What is his purpose? So should I, should I spend time planning? Yes. Yes. Should I spend time figuring? Yes. It's wise to plan and to figure, but as much time should be spent praying and asking the Lord, what is your will? What is your plan for my future? What is your plan for my life? If not, we end up making decisions that look good on paper. They may look good on paper, but they're they're not according to God's will. They're not according to God's plan or God's design for our life and our future. For example, the disciples assumed that because the Samaritan village rejected the message of Jesus, that they could call down fire upon these heathen, half-breed Samaritans. But that wasn't a part of Jesus' plan for that Samaritan village. We, we don't know what, what God's ultimate plan for that Samaritan village was, but, but we know that it wasn't judgment on that day. Who knows? Maybe it was in, in God's design and God's plan that after Jesus died and after he, he was, was raised from death and after he sent the disciples to go... Maybe it was God's plan to send some of those disciples to that Samaritan village to proclaim the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and maybe we don't know for sure but maybe many repented and were saved in that Samaritan village. So we should never assume. We should never assume. We should trust in the Lord. Trust in his word. Now, you may have a a loved one, a person in your life, and you think there's no way. There's no way that person will ever repent and believe in Jesus. There's no way that person will ever be saved. We, We can reason in our minds about how a person may react when we share the gospel with them but never assume that God isn't isn't wanting to do a work in their heart to bring them to salvation, to bring them to repentance, to bring them to a place uh, where they're living in right relationship to God. So here's the key. Don't let what you see cloud what God is able to do. I'll say it again. Don't Let what you see cloud what God is able to do. God can save your loved one. God can save your friend. He can do a work in their heart and in their life. Our response is simply to say, Lord, I commit myself to praying for this person. And we can also look at our community. We may reason our minds. We see a community uh, that where where many people have no interest in, in religious things. We may see that with our eye, but don't let what you see cloud what God is able to do in our neighborhood and our state and our nation and our world. You see, the Bible says that He's not willing that any should perish. But that all would come to repentance and trust in him as savior. And this includes our personal lives too. You may be walking through something. You may be going through a difficulty. Don't let what you see cloud what God is able to do. All things are possible with God. So the disciples say we should, that what they see and what they reason and what they assume is it's time to call fire down upon the Samaritan village. But Jesus says no. No. And he rebukes the disciples for their assumption. Then we hear of three prospective disciples. Each assumed the discipleship would be comfortable or convenient or would fit into their program or plan for life. The first uh, disciple didn't understand the discipleship. It's not a cushy life. It's not an easy life. Talk talked to one guy. He said, I have a cushy job. He says, I make a lot of money and I don't really have to do a whole lot of work. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Have a cushy job? Well, discipleship isn't cushy. If you become a disciple, you might not have any place to lay your head at night. Do you know that? Because as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we follow where he leads. And that may not be in a place of comfort and convenience for us. The other assumed he could wait until his father died and was buried. But the call to discipleship is urgent. When Jesus calls, we go. I was thinking of of soldiers in the military. WHEN A a SOLDIER IS CALLED TO GO, THEY HAVE TO GO. THINK of, OF THE BRAVE MEN IN UKRAINE WHO WERE CONSCRIPTED INTO THE UKRAINIAN ARMY. THEY DIDN'T HAVE THE LUXURY OF GOING WHEN IT WAS CONVENIENT. WHEN THE PRESIDENT CALLED, THEY HAD TO GO. THEY HAD TO REPORT FOR DUTY. Think of the farmer. This is more fitting with the metaphors Jesus gives. When the harvest is ready, the farmer has to go into the field. And I'm sure there have been many farmers at harvest time sitting on a combine with tears in their eyes. Because the harvest was ripe and they weren't able to be with loved ones in their grief. Such is the call of discipleship. Never assume that following Jesus and his mission is comfortable or convenient. So urgent is the call that even farewells may not be possible. I don't believe that what Jesus says here is hyperbole or exaggeration. I believe he is clearly laying out the call Our call, your call and my call of discipleship. See, when God God calls, it won't look convenient on paper. It won't look convenient on your calendar. It won't look convenient to your bank account. Discipleship is counterintuitive. Discipleship shatters all of our ability to reason and to assume what it's about. And as soon as faith serves reason, as soon as faith is submitted to reason, it's no longer faith. It's our own doing. When faith takes the back seat, we we sit at the driver's seat. Or we become the captains of our lives. And as soon as we become the captains or the skippers of our own lives, we end up going in a direction that God doesn't want us to go down. Now let me share the biggest faulty assumption that we make. The biggest faulty assumption is the assumption about how salvation is brought to us, namely the cross. Namely the cross. And Paul writes about this quite a bit. The, this faulty assumption also uh, the disciples had this faulty assumption before his death and resurrection. In, um, in Matthew, our next scripture, Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13, we read this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say, and here's assumptions that people are making some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? People assume all these things about who I am. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Way to go, Peter. We applaud you for your answer. What an amazing answer. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Right here, in this part of Matthew's Gospel, Peter gets an A. He gives the right answer. But then we skip to verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Remember, we're... In our text, it says that Jesus was going to Jerusalem. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and what? And, can you say the word? Must suffer many things from the chief priests and the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be what? Killed. And on the third day be raised. Now, they always seem to miss that part. Which is the key part. And Peter took Jesus aside. Can you imagine this? And began to rebuke Jesus. Here's Peter rebuking the Lord, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. False assumptions. But he turned and said to Peter, Get me behind me, Satan. <laughs> He goes from an A-plus to an F-minus. Worse than an F-minus. He says, you are a hindrance to me. Listen to this. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wow. Wow. Church, this is why faith should never serve reason. It's the opposite. We reason, but our reasoning must be grounded in faith in the promises of God's word. You see, human reason would never conceive the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross confounds every ounce of human reasoning, but it was in God's reasoning that the cross had to happen. God still uses the message of the cross to bring salvation to those who repent and believe this good news. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians uh, chapter 1 verses 20 through 25. Paul spells this point out for us. Verse 20 says, "Where is the wise person?" Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Where are the experts? He says, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, the wisdom of, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. What is preached? We proclaim The death and the resurrection of a Jewish rabbi. We say the way to be saved is through him. Jews demand a sign. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolish, listen to this: For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And the church say, "Amen." What is this foolish message that we're called to preach? But if any would have repent, trust in Jesus, who was crucified buried, and raised, that they can have eternal life, that they can live forever, their sins can be forgiven. This is the message that we proclaim. Human reason cannot cannot figure this out. But we get it because the Holy Spirit has entered in and has done a work in us to cause us to believe. You see, actually the wisdom of the world is going to say you have to do something in order to be saved. That's why I think every religion in the world requires you to do something. A good work to be saved. Christianity is unique because we are taught that Jesus did everything for us. When he died upon the cross, he said, it is finished. The work is done. Salvation has been won. And then what about uh, reasoning about the resurrection from, uh, of the dead? The resurrection. It, it doesn't make sense to human reason. Actually, <laughs> my, on Thursday on Thursday, my human reasoning got in the way. And I just have to tell you the story. I was in, in a home with a lady that I'd never met before. And her loved one was, was laying face down on the floor, dead. So the medical examiner was, was there and, and the, the police officer were there. It's just a sort of a, a quiet time where they're taking pictures. They take pictures of everything and they're doing their investigation. In that time of, of, the, of quiet, i was standing next to this, this lady who's a Muslim. And she said, do people ever come back from the dead? That was her question to me. You know what my first, first thought was in my mind? What a stupid question. Of course people don't come back from the dead. But then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I said, yeah, actually people do come back from the dead. Um, I said, it's, it's in the Bible. But it has to be according to God's plan. And according to God's purpose. And I said, you've heard of the prophet Jesus. I said, prophet, they, they, they refer to Jesus as Esau. You've heard of the prophet Esau? He was raised from the dead. And she said, Yeah. He was raised from the dead then uh, we, we talked a little bit about the gospel and I was able to share the gospel with her and then at the end just as the medical examiner is finishing everything and they put the body into the body bag and they give the loved ones an opportunity to come and we knelt by her loved one and I said do you mind if I pray in the name of Jesus and she said yeah pray in the name of Jesus so I prayed so pray for that woman, as her heart is open to Jesus. And I encouraged her to read the New Testament because Muslims are very open to reading the Gospels. They revere Jesus as a prophet. So be praying for her that she, as she reads the Gospels, that she comes to trust in Jesus as her Savior. But human reason, it gets in the way. We think God can't, or it's not possible. How are we led into the place where reason serves faith, rather than faith taking a back seat to our reason? Well, the answer is the same in in just about every sermon. The answer is repentance. It's repentance. And and remember that that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Repentance. And this is how we, we, we do business with God, right? This is how we walk as disciples. Martin Luther says that when Jesus said repent, he meant that the entire Christian life is repentance. It's so the call today for you is to say, have I been trusting in my own reasoning... My own ability to figure life out, my own ability to, to, to do things, or have I been trusting in the Lord? H- have I been humbling myself before him in prayer? Praying, Lord, if it's your will, Lord, if this is according to your plan and your purpose, then I will do this thing. You see, God has given us certain tools that help us to turn from trusting in ourselves to trusting deeper in God. There are certain disciplines that are practiced in the life of those who are learning to trust in God's wisdom. Who are trying to find God's plan. Rather than trying to uh, figure out things by our own assumptions. And here's just, just one that's fitting with, with the cost of discipleship. And this is what I've been convicted of my, in my own life. Is that I need to renew my co- commitment to prayer. Um, you, you see, sometimes I just pray generally over over different things. But but I really have been convicted that we need to pray as a church about the details. And I need to pray in my own life about the details of my family, my kids, my parents, the ministry of the church. So prayer. But, But oftentimes, too, what we read in the Bible is there's this other discipline called fasting. It seems to me in the scriptures that, when, that when, uh, when people are trying to discern God's will, they not only pray, but they fast. Fasting and prayer. And Jesus said that, that it, he doesn't say if you fast, but he says when you fast. When you fast. And he gives us instructions in Matthew, which we won't get into. You know, fasting is, is a discipline in which we say that I don't live on bread alone. follow Jesus with any assumptions of bodily comfort. I commit not only my soul, but my body and my whole being to God alone. So I turn my plate over. And I seek God's will when it's time to make a big decision. And and fasting is basically saying, Jesus, you are more than enough. I don't need these things. So, it's a discipline that Christ has given to us. Turn the plate over. Commit ourselves to prayer and fasting. It's also saying, My life isn't my own, my life is in your hands. So, I give up that which is most uh, n- necessary to sustain life so I can trust you deeper. With every major decision that the the, the, the disciples took in the book of Acts came a time of fasting and prayer. And if the disciples in the early church committed to fasting and prayer, how much more should we commit to that too? As a people who have been called into a life of discipleship, who have been called not to, to, to live life according to our own plan, but to seek the will of God to say if the Lord wills then we'll do this or we'll do that so let's be a church that's committed for our community for one another for the future of our ministry to being a people prayer but also let us be a people of fasting. let's pray Lord Jesus we thank you And we praise you that you have accomplished all things for us. We don't pray because because we're trying to earn something good for you. We don't fast because we're trying to earn anything from you. It's simply a discipline that shows trust. That shows trust in you alone for all that we need. Giving up that which is most essential for life. The trust in you alone to give us what we need. So give us, Lord Jesus, a sense of our need for you. Help us to use our brains. Help us to be smart. Help us to make wise decisions. But may all of that be be led as we trust in you and what you've given to us in your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?